one of the great preaching verses and passages in all the Bible. And hope that God will help us to do what we ought with it here this evening. Father, bless your word to our hearts now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus thirty-two twenty-five. And when Moses saw that the people were naked, for Aaron had made them naked unto their shame among their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him. And he said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Put every man his sword by his side, and go in and out from gate to gate throughout the camp, and slay every man his brother, and every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. And the children of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and there fell the people that day about three thousand men. For Moses had said, Consecrate yourselves today to the Lord, every man upon his son, upon his brother, that he may bestow upon you a blessing this day. Words we just read will, will gag the modern American professing Christian. They, they, they are revolting to people who don't love God. That's just a fact. We've got a lot of saved people, but they're humanists, they're men lovers. They're lovers of self, they're lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And when they, when they read how serious God is about consecration, when they read how serious God is about the honor of His name, they, they, they find it revolting. They, they draw back, they don't want to see it, they don't want to read it, they certainly don't want to hear about it. But, Thank God we're not among that company. Not among that number. We, we worship God in spirit and in truth. We believe the Bible is true and righteous altogether. And we're not going to join that, that Darwin crowd. We're not going to join that reprobate crowd. We're not going to join that Sodomite crowd. We're not going to join that, that, that water down the gospel and, and, and air conditioned hell crowd. We're going to stay with the truth and the Word of God. And what we see, first of all, here is a question that ought to ring in every man's ears. Who is on the Lord's side? Everybody's not right. The Lord has a side and there's the other side. Everything is not right. There's the Lord's side and there's the other side. Every religion is not acceptable. There's the Lord's side and there's the other side. People don't want it that plain. They want the whole thing to be one great big mush with God in the mud and the mud in God and, and dirt in the holiness and holiness in the dirt. And, and that's not how it is. There, there literally is a line in the sand. And you're on this side with God or you're on that side with a, with a calf and that's just how it's supposed to be. There's a natural dividing line that runs through the human race. There is a division within each accumulation of men. There are two natures inside everyone that is saved. There is the Lord's side and there is the other side. I hope you hope you made up your mind which one you want to be on. Many try to do so, but you can't straddle this line. Some people cross over and back and over and back and over and back so repeatedly that they testify to the fact they know they ought to be on the Lord's side, but they want to be on the other side. And they just hop back and forth in and out. But this is the call to the idolater who is on the Lord's side. This is the appeal to the calf dancer who's on the Lord's side. 
This is the cry to the compromising Aaron among us. Who's on the Lord's side? To each of us in every hour, in every circumstance, in every decision comes the earnest appeal. Who is on the Lord's side? The modern minister is trying to get the Lord on your side. The carnal church of our day is trying to get the Lord on your side. That's never been the call, not the Bible call. That's been the world's call, it's been the devil's call. But the Bible call is who's on the Lord's side, let him come come over here. Come over here. Now we should note carefully it's not Moses who is dividing the camp. That's the propaganda put out by the people that, that want idols. Sin brought this division. The camp wasn't divided when Moses went up on the mountain. It was divided when he got back down. Moses didn't divide it. Sin divided it. Sin divides the human race. Sin divides churches. Sin separates men from God. It's not the man who was in prayer and communion with God on the mountaintop that caused the rift. It was compromise on the part of the unrighteous. That's demanded separation on the part of those who would be holy. Moses has no desire to adapt. Moses has no desire to figure out how to get along with the lowered standard established by Aaron. He will not recognize the compromise. He will not reorganize the congregation to accommodate the carnal desires of its majority. He's going to stay on the Lord's side. And if 90% want to stay on the other side of the line, that's where they'll have to stay. If only 5% want to get on the Lord's side, that's all you got. If only 1% want to get on the Lord's side, that's all you got. If nobody but Moses wants to stand there, that's all you got. We're not moving the line. We're not going to make the other side the Lord's side just so we can have more people on our side. Who's on the Lord's side? This man of God will order repentance. He'll order a forsaking of debauchery. He'll order a genuine move in God's direction. There's no discussion. There's no vote. Who wants to get right? Get right. Who wants to repent? Repent. You're not on the Lord's side now. You can be on the Lord's side if you'll come over here, but you gotta put your clothes back on, you gotta shut down that music, you gotta get rid of that calf, you gotta stop longing for Egypt, you gotta stop buying off Aaron, get over here! All you gotta do is just, just pick a town, and type in the name of that town and type churches. You know what you'll find? You'll find that for the last 25 years, one congregation after another, one pastor after another, one group of deacons after another has moved the line and moved the line and moved the line and moved the line so that you can pretend to be on the Lord's side without coming to righteousness. And you can pretend to be on the Lord's side without leaving that which God finds an abomination. That's not how it is in the Bible. Which is why you search far and wide nowadays to find a church that opens a Bible. Because the Bible won't allow for this modern garbage. And so what did the congregation think? We know what the congregation thought. We found out when Moses came down off the mountain. Well, how did the majority feel about it? We, found, we read how the majority felt about it. 
Well, Moses didn't call a business meeting. He didn't say, I've got a, I want to make a motion that we get right with God. Anybody want to second that motion? He just came down and he said, hey, hey, what you're doing is going to stop right now. And we're going to put a stop to it. And you can get over here and go to the side that's stopping it, or you can stay over there and be on the side that's getting stopped, but it's stopping right now. That pastor, he thinks he's a dictator. Somebody's got to be. No, no man right with God wants to be a dictator. But no man right with God can fail to see the duty of calling sometimes an entire congregation to get right with God. Because sometimes the whole, the whole outfit's shot. Sometimes the whole thing's gone wrong. And the only way to save it is drastic measures. You can't save a sinking ship one bucket of water at a time. You gotta, you gotta take some serious action. You got a house on fire, you don't, you don't, you don't bring, bring a thimble full of water and throw it on there and say, well, you know, we don't want to get too fanatical about this. Man, the condition of our churches today, the last thing we need is, well, we just gotta go along to get along. Here's what they told me. I started, I started, Preaching the Bible, you know, and I was in a, in a church where they, they, they sort of studied the Bible. They didn't really preach the Bible. And it was, well, how, how do you see it? And how do you see it? And how do you feel about it? And how do you feel about it? And you get up and preach and they, they, they call you in office and say, now listen, son, fellowship is two fellows in a ship. And the key to fellowship is don't rock the boat. And, and I said, and all my youthful, zeal and lack of charity. I said, if somebody's sitting and somebody's taking a stand, the boat's going to rock. And we're just going to stand up for God. Who's on the Lord's side? Well, Moses, you know, yours isn't the majority opinion. Well, too bad. Mine's the right opinion. Most a lot of people don't see it your way. Well, then they're not looking at it right. Well, who's he think he is? He's just siding with God. God's right. I, you know, people, they say, well, you know, God and one, God and one man's a majority. No, God's a majority. If God doesn't have one man, He's still a majority. God'd be right if everybody said He was wrong. Bible's still right. This is the voice of the Holy Ghost. It's the word from the lips of all true ministers. It's the need of the hour in every church. Who's on the Lord's side? What side are you on when you get to school? What side are you on when you go online? What side are you on when you're talking with your friends? What side are you on when you get to work? I'm not talking about right here, right now. It's pretty easy to be on the Lord's side right now because everybody's shouting amen. You said, oh no. Well, you're in a mess. But you get someplace where everybody's saying, oh no, are you going to say amen? Who's on the Lord's side? Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who's on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. There is a man on the Lord's side. When Moses said, Come unto me, he could say that because he's standing on the right ground. He's living the right life. He's honoring the true and living God. You know who resents their husband's devotion to a preacher standing like Moses? Somebody wants to be on the other side. You know who tries to undermine a wife's devotion to the preaching of the Word of God? A husband who wants to stand on the other side. 
You know what? Parents get all weak, need, and wobbly when their teenagers start getting excited about Jesus Christ, the ones that want to live on the other side. You know, complains, you know, complains, well, you know, that just, there he goes again, just trying to run everybody's life. You know who talks that way? People that want to be on the other side. Moses is right. Now, look, certainly it's Christ we must follow. But the Holy Spirit had Paul bid Christians to follow him as he followed Christ. They couldn't put their eyes on Jesus. They could put their eyes on Paul. And Timothy did. And then they couldn't put their eyes on Timothy or Paul or on, on Jesus or Paul, but they could put their eyes on Timothy. And they did. Not talking about man worship here. We're talking about common sense. You send your boy off to, you say, well, you know, I want my, I want my son to, to be a baseball player. And you sign him up for little league. And the guy coaching the teams never hit a baseball in his life. You say, well, that guy can't help my son. I want a guy that my son can look, can watch that man say, you grip the bat like this, and you hold the bat like this, and you step like this, and you turn your hips like this, and you, and you drive it through like that. You want your son to watch the man who knows how to do it, do it. I'm going to pay $50 a week for piano lessons. But I'm going to take piano lessons from somebody who can't play the piano. But they own one and they listen to piano music and, and they've, they've got a lot of, of, of knowledge about great piano players throughout history. I don't want somebody like that. I want someone who knows how to play the piano that can teach me to do what they're doing. It boggles my mind. People, look, if you're going to go to church, why are you going to a church that's open one hour a week? If the pastor don't have any more interest in Christianity than that, what's he going to teach you? (laughs) It's mind-boggling. Well, you know, you're just following a man. Everybody's following a man. You're following a man when you criticize the man that Christians are following. What man are you listening to? The New Testament is boy, it's see, get see, get real tense. You start talking like this. The New Testament establishes the pastoral ministry and puts the elders over the saints. I didn't make that up. It's in the Bible. We are repeatedly instructed to walk in fellowship with those who walk with Jesus and to choose proper companions for our life. Now, you don't have any objection to hanging out with people and following people that are going the direction you want to go. The only people complain about, well, you know, they're just following a preacher. They're just doing what a preacher says. The only people complain about that are people who don't want to go where the preacher's going. Nobody says, well, he's just following the bartender. They don't really want to drink. They just follow the bartender. No, they're there taking the bartender's recommendations, give, t- drinking whatever the bartender hands them because they want to go the direction the bartender's leading them. Now, I criticize that. I say, man, get out of that bar. Stop following that bartender. You know why? Because I don't want people going that way. Now, you know who's saying, well, I don't know why you got to listen to that preacher all the time. You just worship a man. No, you're wrong. Somebody's listening to a preacher who wants to go the direction that that preacher's headed. They're not worshiping that man. That's the way they want to go. That's the side they've chosen. What side are you on? Oprah's side? 
Everybody's got a side. Happy as a home, it's united in the direction they want to go. Happy as a family, united in the direction they want to go. Happy as a man, when he gets saved, his friends get saved. And they can walk on through life together. Happy as a church, it all wants to go the same direction and follow in the Lord. But where it is not so, there's a line. With whom will we cast our lot? Will the church put Moses or Aaron in leadership? Will we seek out hard-line preaching or seek to have our ears tickled? Will we make friends of those pursuing holiness or those who dance about their calves of gold? When you're down and out, who do you call? When you're depressed and sad, who do you make contact with? When life isn't going the way you want it to, who do you seek out to, to find a better direction? That's what side you're on. That's your side. It don't matter what you tell the preacher. It don't matter what you tell the Sunday school teacher. It doesn't even matter what you tell God when you're praying. When you need comfort, who do you turn to? When you need joy, what do you seek? When you need gladness and contentment and satisfaction in your life, where, where do you point the compass of your heart? That's the side you're on. Moses said, hey, where are you going to stand? I'm a calf destroyer. Over there's calf makers. You want me with the calf makers or the calf destroyers? Pick a, pick a choice. Well, you know, there's, there's some people over here that are really nice and I, and I like them and dancing. Anything wrong with dancing? It was fun. And, and over, you know, Moses, he's a pretty good guy. I mean, whenever there's a Pharaoh and stuff, he can kind of take him down. And I, Can I just stand right here, Moses? No. No. We don't need you in here singing how great thou art and going to work tomorrow and telling dirty jokes. Pick a side. Pick a side. Jesus is the only Savior. He said, come unto me. There are still godly men in this world. Come unto me, they plead. There are churches that remain where the word of God is honored. Join us. They say to those who would be righteous. And, oh, this is great. And, look at it. Verse 26, And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him. Here are men who heeded the call, who separated themselves from the evildoers, who joined Moses on the side of the right. Now, they were on the wrong side. And so were all of us. But they decided to get on the right side. And that's all anybody can do. I'm glad they did it. And thus we see that even the darkest hours... Come on, brother. Thus we see that even in the days of deepest sin... Come on, sister. If someone who knows God and trusts God will boldly stand for truth and right, he may still gather... He may still reach some who will come out from among them and be separated unto God. I know we live in terrible times. I know we live in a filthy world. I know we live in a day when people just seem to make fun of biblical Christianity. But listen, it can't be any worse than it was in this day we're reading about right here. 
and somebody stood and somebody represented God and somebody proclaimed the truth and somebody denounced evil and somebody said, who wants to get in on this? And people did. And as bad as you think things are, you can still see people saved in a day like this. And as corrupt as you think things are, you can still build good churches in a day like this. If you just get on God's side and let God bless it. Let God do the work. Praise the Lord. The times may grow increasingly wicked and who would expect otherwise? But as long as Jesus Christ lives, the gates of hell will not prevail against His church. No matter how corrupt the world of men may become, a bold leader filled with God's Spirit standing firmly upon God's Word may yet rescue the perishing and claim some ground in this old world for the Lord our God. No reason to give up just because so many have given up. There's no reason to accept defeat just because so many are are defeated. Why can't we live victorious Christian lives in a day like this? Well, you know, not many saved people left. There was a time there were only 3,120 saved people in the whole wide world. Now, you think about that. Things might be, be... Worse than you'd like him to be, but there was a time when 3,120 people were saved and everybody else was lost. And man, they sure got a lot done. We're not outnumbered that badly. You know how many saved people there were in Italy? Zero. France? Zero. England? Zero. Asia, zero. Africa, zero. Ethiopian unit got home, it went to one. One saved person, all of Africa. Cornelius trusts the Lord. One saved Italian, the whole wide world. And his house got saved. Now we're up to 10, 15. And then I just, I'll tell you, we're so outnumbered. You're not as outnumbered as they were in the book of Acts. Church has been outnumbered far, in far greater numbers than it is right now. And the Lord did something because those men surrendered themselves and those women surrendered themselves. And they got on the Lord's side and they took a stand. And they got in a town and another town and a city and another city. And they won people to Christ when it was far darker than it is right now. We still do something for the Lord. Something else about this verse. How incredibly gracious and merciful is our God? After all He'd done for those people? After all the miracles they experienced? And and they end up doing what they're doing at the foot of that mountain? You wouldn't think the Lord would give them any chance to get on His side. Just torch them. Just burn them all. Just open the earth, swallow them up. Just, Just... Hover Moses up above the scene for a little bit. Let that fire from off that mountain just roll down its side and burn him up. He could have done that. He'd been just and righteous to do it. (laughs) No doubt these rebels deserve death. Aren't you glad there were coats of skin for Adam and his wife? Aren't you glad there was an ark for Noah and his 
family. Aren't you glad there was an angelic escort out of Sodom? Better than that, aren't you thankful there was a sacrificial death of the Son of God on the cross? To open a door to get us out of hell and into heaven? Every man at the foot of Mount Sinai except Moses and Joshua should have been consumed. And every sinner from Adam's date ours, worthy of death and hell and eternal condemnation. Yet God is not willing that any should perish. And even after what you did, young man, God offers you space to repent. Even after the fall you've taken, young lady, God offers you space to repent. Mr. Man, Ms. Woman, listen, listen. God knows what you did. He knows how dirty it was. He knows how wrong it was. He knows how guilty you are. And he's drawn a line. He said, you stay over there. My wrath abides upon you. But you're welcome to come get on the Lord's side. You, you want to come on? You want to come? Who's on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. Aren't you glad that gospel message went out? We've got a book called Ephesians. Written to save people who were worshipers of a rock. That they thought was a goddess who fell down from heaven. The Bible talks about saved people as be there not being neither Jew nor Greek. You know what the Greeks were doing? They were ignorantly worshiping unknown gods and idols when Paul got there with the gospel. Listen, God saves sinners, even idolaters, even those who have sunk to the very depths of depravity. If you just come get on the Lord's side. Now, he's not going to make idolatry okay so you can keep being an idolater and say you belong to the Lord. But if you want to leave that and get over where he is, he's so gracious. He's so kind. He's so merciful. And so Moses stood. And this, oh, this is the part people just, they just can't, they can't stand this. They can't handle it. Look what it says. Moses stood, said to them, verse 27, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, put every man his sword by his side, and go in and out from gate to gate throughout the camp, and slay every man his brother, and every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. And the children of Levi did according to the word of Moses. Now, you know, that's, that's really, that's bad business for Americans. That's bad, that's tough stuff for modern, modern church people. Now, you've got to remember the Old Testament deals with the history of an earthly people. And the establishing of a physical kingdom. And it's evident that those that would corrupt or weaken or bring ruin upon that orderly society must be dealt with harshly. What murder is to our nation, what molestation is to our nation, idolatry was to the nation of Israel. It was to be dealt with with capital punishment. It was a crime against the society, the very fabric of the nation. The fact that our country no longer views sin as sin, they're all so messed up and discombobulated, they don't, they don't know what sin is anymore, much less how to punish it or deal with it. Doesn't change the fact. 
The Lord will use Israel to live the land of a people whose religion is inseparably linked with their perverted lifestyles, and he can't allow those same corruptions to take root among his people. He's going to drive the Canaanites out of the land because they are worshiping idols and sexually promiscuous at the same time. And Israel's doing that. He can't allow that to stand. The historical record here shows a military court-martial executing traitors or a government carrying out capital punishment against treasonous citizens. The world uses these records to find fault with the God of the Bible. But every society must punish evildoers to maintain order. And what happens, see, the Christians, they don't know how to answer anything. The leader, the Christian leaders, know so little about the Bible. They get in a debate with a college professor, or they get on a, a, a TV news show, and they say, well, what about God killing all those people back there in the Old Testament? How can you justify Christianity? That's not Christianity, you dope. And the poor preacher sits there, you know, dumbfounded, like, oh, I didn't know he was going to ask something like that. Uh, well, you know, there's a lot of things we just don't understand, Bill. Well, if there's a lot of things you don't understand, don't try to be a spokesman for Christianity. Know what you're talking about before you go on the show and do the interview. The Old Testament nation of Israel is at war with idolaters... Just like the nation called the United States was once at war with Nazis or or the worshippers of Hirohito thought he was the God manifest in the flesh. That's national stuff. Read your New Testament. Christians don't do that stuff. These college kids last week, they said, well, you know, what about the other religions? Just look. (laughs) Well, people don't understand. If we kill people, we are not following the example set by Jesus Christ. So Christians don't do that. If a Muslim kills people, they are following the example set by Muhammad. You can't say they're the same. Jesus killed, did not kill people. Muhammad killed people. Jesus didn't cut people's heads off and take their women. Muhammad cut people's heads off and took their women. That's a historical fact. Well, you know, they're killing back there in the Old Testament. Yeah, yeah. Read me the passages in the New Testament about that. Did you know the day the law was given, how many people were killed? Did you read it? Verse 28, 3,000 men were killed the day the law was given. You know how many people were given eternal life the day the Holy Ghost was given? 3,000 souls, Acts chapter 2. The law brings death, the gospel brings life. They're not the same. They're not the same. Praise the Lord. Well, anyway, what we want from these verses to find the lessons the Lord would have us to learn from the history as regards our daily lives today, because 1 Corinthians 10 said these are our examples. So, there's a man devoted to God. He stands at the gate. He says, who will leave the immoral and come over here and be righteous? Who will leave the filthy and come over here and be clean? And and the sons of Levi did. 
And he said, all right, now, now that you're on this side, I want you to take a sword and I want you to go over there and use it on everybody that did not want to be on this side. Now, let me quote some verses that I hope you know. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God of the pulling down of strongholds. So we don't have physical weapons. We have spiritual weapons. And we are told to take to ourselves the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And we are told that the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the binding of sunder, joints and marrow, soul and spirit. So what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to repent of our sin, get on the Lord's side, then look back at the side we used to be on and run in there with our sword and use it on them. We're to put the Word of God into those who won't repent. We're to put the the Word of God into those who don't want to be on the Lord's side. No wonder there's division in houses where somebody gets saved. The sword is used on a man's brother. No wonder there's marital hardship when somebody sells out to Jesus Christ. The sword is to be used upon his companion. No wonder there's upset and difficulty in the neighborhood and on the job when somebody begins to live a Christian life by the Bible because the sword is to be used on the neighbor. Jesus said, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. Your wife gets serious about Jesus, you don't want to be, there's going to be some cutting going on. Mom and dad want to sell out and live for the Lord, and the kids don't want to go along with, there's going to be some cutting going on. You and your your buddy's been drinking pals for 20 years, and now you get right with God, and you say, I'm not going with you after work anymore, there's going to be some cutting going on. Pain, bloodshed, wounding. What the Lord said, it's part of being on my side. Part of being on my side. Now every one of us is part of that golden calf crowd. Come to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter number 1. I'm sorry, chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. Verse number 3, for we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Aren't you glad the Lord saves people that were on the wrong side? But I've got to ask you tonight, it's easy to say you're saved, especially when a saved person's asking you. But the Bible says, for we ourselves also were. Are the things in that list were to you? Or are they are to you? Because we don't want to hear you say you're on the Lord's side. If you're living on the golden calf side, that's the side you're on. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter number 2. 
Verse number one, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, according to the spirit now working the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath even as others, but God who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he saved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. Aren't you glad God saves people that were living rotten lives? Aren't you glad God saves people that were on the other side? Okay, i got to ask you. Verse 1, were. Verse 2, time passed. Verse 3, had come on, don't don't say you're on the Lord's side when you're still on the other side. Saying it doesn't doesn't do anything. If your clothes aren't on, if you're still in dance mode, if the Egyptian drums are still beaten, if the calf is still getting your gold, you can say you're on the Lord's side all you want. You're not. You're not. Leave that crowd and get with God. Leave that side and get with the Lord. Look, everybody's different. Everybody's personality is different. Everybody responds responds different situations. I understand that. But if you are a Nazi, and there's Nazi, 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 USGI, USGI, USGI. Which one would you want to shoot? If you're a Nazi, you want to shoot the USGI. You don't want to shoot the other Nazi. Okay? If you're kamikaze, kamikaze, kamikaze. And over here is US sailor, US sailor, US sailor. If you're kamikaze, who do you want to drop your plane on? Not your fellow kamikaze, but US Navy man. You know what I really wonder about? I wonder about people who say they're saved. They criticize their pastor. They never criticize rappers. They criticize their church. They never criticize the National Football League. They criticize the dress code at church. They never criticize the naked women on their TV. How can you say you're on the Lord's side when the only people you want to use a sword on are the Lord's people? If you're on the Lord's side, your weapon will be directed toward those who are on the other side. It won't be directed toward those who are on the Lord's side. I don't know who's saved and who's not, but it's pretty easy to tell what side people are on. You tell what side they're on by who they attack. The people on the Lord's side with Moses are attacking the people that aren't. If the only criticisms you got, the only attacks you got are for God's people, and for righteous people, and for holy people, that's the side, that's your side. I can't stand that preacher. I know who can you stand? That's your side. On the Bible. There we go in the Bible. The Bible. Always the Bible. Always the Bible. The phone. The phone. The phone. It's always your phone. Amen. Pick a side. Whose side are you on? 
What you criticize is what you're against. And what you promote, what you rejoice in is what you're for. And there's, there's a line. There's a line. God drew a line. All right. Well, let's look at something else here. Hebrews 4. Hebrews chapter 4. We, we quoted it. Let's read it. Make sure we quoted it right. Hebrews 4.12. For the word of the Lord is quick. See, if, you, if, if he quickened us, Ephesians 2, then we ought to have something in common with a book that's quick. Ought to, that ought to fit together. Uh, Word of God is quick and powerful and sharp and a two-edged sword. Piercing even the binding asunder of soul and spirit, of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. <laughs> that's, that's why people don't like that book. Neither is there any creature is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto him, uh, eyes of him with whom we have to do. Now look, if I, if I wanted to live a sinful life, you know how I'd want to talk to about my problems? An unsaved sinner. Because they just want to know how I feel and how I looked at it and, and how I, what I thought about it and... I wouldn't want to talk to somebody that had this sword in their hand. Because they'd open this Bible and say, well, this is what you're doing, and this is why you did it. And this is how you're going to end up. And this is the way out. And if you want the way out, here's how you take it. And we can take that way out right now. And people don't want that. Because they don't want to get over on the Lord's side. They want the Lord to float a little blessing over to them on the calf's side. All right, Luke 14. So here, here's what we've got to ask. Luke 14. I won't ask till you finish turning there. I want you to be distracted. Once we're separated in the right company, it's the Word of God which will give us the power to cut off those sins, those vices, those habits, those lusts, those companions, which have caused us to fall and have led us to disappoint our Savior. So the Bible's going to do that. So, Exodus 32 said, Go in and out from gate to gate throughout the camp and slay every man his brother and every man his companion and every man his neighbor. Are we willing to put out of our lives those who would pervert us? Are we willing to put out of our lives those who would weaken our resolve to follow Jesus? Are we willing to put out of our lives those who would encourage us to engage in sinful behavior? That's, that's the call. Amen. You wouldn't have done that if you were with Moses. You did do it when you were with them. Are you willing to leave them and get with Moses? Because you can't do both. You can't live a holy life with people who are unholy. You can't live a clean life with people who are dirty. With their swords, friends are taking down friends. 
With their swords, kinsmen are taking down kinsmen. With their swords, neighbor is striking neighbor. It's a scene few can stomach. I mean, if you just think about it, just meditate on it, it's pretty gruesome. I've never been in war. My my wife tell you, there's hardly a day goes by that I don't say, I thank God I'm, I'm not in a war. I thank God I've never been in a war. I appreciate all you men that have been there for us. I thank God I've never been in one. You can wave the flag and play the patriotic music all you want. You give me a choice between peace and war, I'll take peace every time. I'm looking forward to a thousand years of peace. One day of war for a thousand years of peace. Now, Jesus, he knows how to get it done. <laughs> but but I don't think I don't think any of us, maybe maybe some World War II men, maybe some 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 of you guys that get some real bad spots in Vietnam. But I don't think any of us can comprehend in our mind three thousand bodies lying in a relatively small area, put to death by a sword. That's a lot of screaming. That's a lot of pain. That's a lot of agony. That's a lot of blood. That's a lot of onlookers freaking out. That's a horrific scene. And the only people who create a scene like that are people who are absolutely certain that it has to be done. And there's going to be a lot of crying in the family circle. There's going to be a lot of hurt feelings among the company of friends. If you really sell out and get serious about Jesus Christ. Grandma's going to stand there with tears running down her face because she believes with all her heart your child will grow up to be a mass murderer or a serial killer without an Easter basket. <laughs> What's going to become of that? You're just ruining my grandchild. You're going you're gonna to destroy her life. And just look, just go to the prisons and talk to the inmates. Honey, how'd you get here? I didn't get to go to Easter, I got. Sure, that's it. I'm sure the jails are just full of, full of women that just couldn't cope with life because when they were little, they didn't get to have Easter. No, you know, you know what I bet they'll tell you? Yeah. Yeah. My dad did X, Y, and Z contrary to the Word of God. Yeah. My mother did X, Y, and Z contrary to the Word of God. I made friends who encouraged me to do X, Y, and Z contrary to the Word of God. Following Jesus, I'm going to go put you in a prison house. Following that gold calf, going to put you in that prison house. So Luke 14 says this. If there's a verse a modern Christian finds objectionable more than this one, I don't know what it is. Verse 25, there were great multitudes... With him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother, now he's, and some kids sit saying, Okay, that's me, I'm a disciple. No, we got a context here. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, do you understand what looks to your mom like hate? What looks to your brother or your son like hate? 
If you read the whole passage, it's just self-denial for Jesus. It's not, I hate you, so I'm going to kill you. It's that I'm going to take up a cross and kill myself. And I guess that means you're not going to be going with me. He's not saying go home and wreck your family. He's saying follow me. And chances are they're not going to go with you. And as you disappear up that hill carrying that cross following Jesus, they're going to yell out, What do you hate us? He's not telling you to be hateful. He's telling you to live in such a way as will cause them to perceive that you hate them. I don't hate your dad. I don't hate your mom. I don't hate your brother. I don't hate your sister. I don't hate your son. I don't hate your daughter. But I got to follow that man. He shed his blood to save my soul from hell. I can't stay here and do stuff that displeases him. Come on, come with me. Come with me. I don't want to go there. Well, I, I got to go there. Oh, I guess you hate us. That's what you got to call it. That's what you got to call it. But I'm going with Jesus. Going with Jesus. There's a reason why the fornicator and heretic are put out of a church where they've been members for years. There's a reason why Christian parents cannot allow their children to visit the homes of some of their relatives. We've got to use the word of God against all who would wage war against our relationship to Jesus Christ. I can't because the Bible says. I won't because the Bible says. We're not because the Bible says. We do because the Bible says. Mom, you go against the Bible, you're wrong. Dad, you go against the Bible, you're wrong. Son, you go against the Bible, you're wrong. Daughter, you go against the Bible, you're wrong. Friend, you go against the Bible, you're wrong. I've got nothing against you. I love you. But I'm on this side now. I'm on this side. Jesus Christ means more. All right, this coming out from among the evil is also a joining together with those siding with the Lord. Moses said, Consecrate yourselves today to the Lord, even every man upon his son, upon his brother, that he may bestow upon you a blessing this day. To consecrate is to make or declare to be sacred by certain ceremonies or rites, to appropriate the sacred uses, to dedicate to the service and worship of God. And the Lord blessed these people. He didn't bless bless them for half measures. He blessed them for full devotion. Now, now think about this consecration thing. Some of you go up Roman Catholic Church. Some of you have never been to one. You ought to go to one sometime. Just, just, you ought to go. So here's a man standing up, and he's got on the sacred garments. Oh, Father, may I give you? No, 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 sacred garments. Don't go on the sacred garments. Don't touch the sacred garments. He's a pedophile. But the garments are sacred. See? Hold up the wafer. Fee, fi, fo, fum, e plural, shunum, fled Barney, will be, abba, abba, Cross my heart, hope to die. Now it's the Son of God. 
A college kid in Orlando, instead of eating the, the cookie, took it home with him. I, I kid you not. The Catholic Church called the Sheriff's Department and wanted him arrested for kidnapping because he took Jesus. Wait, no. The wafer was consecrated. It was sacred. They wouldn't call the cops if the guy came to confession and said he was a heroin dealer. They wouldn't call the cops if the guy came to confession and, 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 and said that he was a, a serial adulterer. But the wafer is consecrated. Now look, religion consecrates things and leaves people dirty. The Bible consecrates people and tells you not to make a big deal out of things. You know what people want? They want to hold a holy Bible, but live an unholy life. You know what the Lord said? Leave that side, get on my side. Take my sword and cut off everything that would influence you to live contrary to my word. And I'll call that consecration and I will bless you for it. How about that? So you know what victorious Christian living is? It's when we stop trying to be worldly and hope God will bless us anyway. It's when we stop pursuing the things of the flesh and hope that our life's still going to turn out great and wonderful. It's not going to happen. Victorious Christian living is realizing I'm on the wrong side. I've done some wrong things. I've made some terrible decisions. I'm going to stop excusing them. I'm going to stop wallowing in them. I'm going to repent and get over there on the other side. And I'm going to take that sword and start using it against the things that made me carnal. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness which is idolatry. The measures taken to put a stop to the shameful conduct at the foot of Mount Sinai were so drastic that to this very day the world looks upon them with criticism and scorn. In our times, when the majority of saved people carefully calculate how devoted they can be to Jesus without bringing upon themselves the disapproval of a wicked world, we need to take heed to this part of the Bible. Consecrate yourselves today to the Lord, that He may bestow upon you a blessing this day. God blesses those who take His side. I so appreciate being in fellowship with men and women that want to be on his side. I so appreciate being a church full of people of, of all ages. And you walk through these halls and the conversation's not about worldly things. And it's not about dirty things. And it's not about vain things. It's a genuine love and concern for one another and, and one another's walk with the Lord and one another's spiritual life and one another's ministries. and one. Thank God, hallelujah. Amen. It's a blessing to be on the right side. Yeah, yeah, it's a blessing to be on the Lord's side. 
And we'll say one last thing and then you can pack up and do whatever it is you see fit to do. Moses and Joshua come down and there's a million and a half people dance around that golden calf. The sons of Levi came over and joined Moses. So there's 11 tribes still over there on the wrong side. That's a lot of people. And only 3,000 fell by the sword. That's, that's a pretty small slice. It tells me that in a family, in a town, in a nation, you don't have, a, have to have a lot of people standing for what's right to put a stop or at least a check on the wrongdoers. Do you know everybody on that job's still going to cuss? But they'll stop when you come around. They'll all still show each other dirty pictures on their phones, but they'll, they'll put them away when you come around. We can't make people get on the Lord's side. But we can get on the Lord's side and wage war with the sword of the Spirit. And we can at least put the brakes on it. God didn't say, if I find 50 righteous people, I'll make Sodom a righteous place. He said, if I find 50 righteous people, it'll put a check on on what's about to happen down there. And so church, we'd like to see more people saved. Sure we would. We'd like to see more fruit from our labors. Sure we would. But if you don't think it does any good to stand up for Jesus, read that last book in your Bible about what this world turns into as soon as the church is gone. We may not turn them all around, but we can stop them in their tracks for a little while. So so let's get on the right side. If you're on the right side, stay there. If you're not on the right side, he said this day, it didn't take a month, it didn't take a year. It just took a decision in your heart. I've been on the wrong side long enough. I'm going to get on the right side tonight. Amen. All right, Father.